The best part of doing a podcast is bleeping out incriminating comments and leaving my FBI guy confused as to whether or not I'm actually committing a crime. He'll never know, and neither will you. I will say that if you want to live your best life, the secret ingredient is a little crime. Just a little tiny bit as a treat. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm Commoner Dubs, your host, producer, and director of this humble endeavor. Today we're going to talk about landlords again, because why not? We're going to do this for a few reasons. If you're a regular listener, you know one of our first episodes in Season 2 was about this very subject, and that episode was brought on by a coup of an anti-tenant landlord group on Facebook. I promised to check back in on said group and give y'all a progress update, and here we are six months later. Also, when I did that episode, it was mainly off the cuff, and I didn't have a script or any research because, you know, I'm, I'm totally not a professional. So I wanted to revisit this topic armed with both facts and logic and research, and maybe include some instructions on how to build a guillotine or something. I also want to revisit this subject because my lease has almost ran its course and I'm trying to figure out my next steps. Basically, I want to shit on my landlord and this is my proverbial toilet. Sorry for the smell. So let's start by running some numbers. From CNBC.com, titled, Rent Prices Will Keep Going Up in 2023, Here's What to Expect, that was published on Wednesday, September 28, 2022 by Mike Winners. Quote, Year-over-year rental prices growth will rise from 5.8% as of June 2022 to 8.4% as of May 2023, according to a Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas forecast that uses data from the federal government's Consumer Price Index. Similarly, similarly, an upcoming Moody's analytic forecast predicts a rent growth of 5% to 7% during that same time, says Thomas LaSalvia, a director of economic research at the financial analytics firm. Before the COVID pandemic, annualized rent prices gains were about 4% to 5%, he said. End quote. Meanwhile, over at Rent.com, in an article published on June 16, 2023, titled, a Monthly Look at Rent Price Trends Across the United States by John Leckie states, quote, After nearly two years of constant rent growth, the national median rent price was less in May than it was a year ago. The negative 0.57% drop in yearly prices was the first time prices went negative since March 2020. Yearly rent growth has been decelerating for nine months now, registering single-digit growth in each survey period since September 2022, after nearly a year of double-digit increases from October 2021 through August 2022. Since September, yearly growth has slowed from just under 9% to last month's 0.30% rise, the smallest increase in 37 months. Over the last nine months, yearly increases have averaged 4.32% and have remained below 2.50% in each of the last five months. Yearly changes peaked at more than 17.5% in March 2022. End quote. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of numbers, and I, I'm confused too, but half this show is numbers and half of it is you know anti-landlord jokes but i digress so let's parse that out let's start with a base of a thousand because base 10 math is easy to work with plus metric system gang for life anyway 
Say you were paying $1,000 a month uh, rent before the pandemic. Your rent rose with the national average by double digits. Let's be generous and say 10% because it's both the lowest double digit increase as well as, again, base 10 number. So from 2020 until 2023, your rent went up 10% every year. And that's compounded. So in 2021, you were paying $1,100 a month for the same spot you were previously renting. In 2022, there's another 10% increase. So now your rent went from $1,100 to $1,210. Same location, same amenities, same refusal of your landlord to fix anything, but in two years' time, you're paying an extra $210. Even if there's a minuscule drop of these rental increases, it doesn't mean the rent goes down. It just means it doesn't go up as much. Not to mention that in our hypothetical, your rent has increased 10% every year, but only declined about half a percent. So even with the declining growth this year, you're still paying 9.5% premium to simply exist. And that's a 9.5% premium on what you've already had increased through your tenancy. So it's really, at this point, squeezing blood from a stone. Landlords, both individual and corporate, are fleecing us to make up for their entitlement. They feel entitled to raise rents for, to make up for lost profits from the pandemic. Side note, the whole notion of lost profits is a completely screwed up idea, but that's a whole nother episode. But I will say the phrase is a representation of the worst aspects of capitalism. If you never had something to begin with, how can you possibly lose it, unless you feel entitled to something you never had? We see this rise in rates due to a variety of factors, with one common thread. Capitalism, because it's always capitalism. There's a housing shortage. Landlords are trying to maximize their profits in the foolish quest for ever-increasing exponential growth. Venture capitalists realize that people need housing to live, and the two-party two system has no desire to regulate landlords or subsidize housing for the working class. Excuse me. So, from Bankrate.com in an article titled Understanding the Country's Housing Shortage by Jess Ulrich, published on 420, 2023. I was actually doing a live stream that day. Uh, I digress. Quote, Rising material costs, supply chain issues, and labor shortages stemming from COVID have all negatively impacted housing inventory, but the problem existed long before the pandemic. Essentially, the U.S. has failed to keep up the housing demands of a continually increasing population. One factor that exacerbates the shortage is the prevalence of institutional investors who buy up a large portion of housing inventory for profit. These investors account for more than 13% of all residential real estate purchased in 2021, according to a 2022 NAR study, removing these units from the pool of availability for individual buyers. The current economic environment is also complicating matters. Hopeful buyers saw their purchasing power plummet as mortgage rates and inflation increased. When rates hit 6%, we saw many aspiring home buyers put their search on hold temporarily, says Shmuel Shaywitz, president and chief lending officer of mortgage lender approved funding. At 7%, we saw a bigger tipping point than when people exited the market en masse. End quote. So there's something to be said about the rising material cost, <coughs> price gouging, <coughs> or um, uh, inflation, pardon me, and the supply chain issues, but that's getting in on some territory I don't want to really tread in this episode. So let's talk about investors in the market. I was going to quote a few more numbers here, but 
I'm kind of overwhelmed already by all the numbers I've thrown at you between dates and percentage points and money and all that. So I only really feel comfortable as well with carpenter math and stoner math. But if you want to do your own research, there's a great article on presearch.com titled As National Eviction Ban Expires, A Look at Who Rents and Who Owns in the United States by Drew DeSilver. Had a lot of good information in it, so check that out if you want to see kind of like a big picture of it. Basically, as if we needed the stats to prove it, many millennial and people of color have been priced out of the buying market, forcing them to continue renting even as their rent goes up higher than the mortgage rates. This in turn disallows savings for buying an unaffordable house as well as the upward mobility of owning your own home, locking renters in a cycle of poverty. Every home that is being rented is a home off the market for buyers. This in turn restricts availability and encourages skyrocketing home prices. And as landlords know renters are perpetually trapped in their rental scheme, it allows them to raise rents to exorbitant levels with no checks or balances from the government. This is further exacerbated by not only individual landlords who own between one and five homes, but also the venture capital investors as well as those who sublet rentals on services like Airbnb or Verbo. All of it together puts a squeeze on the market that the common folk have to pay to exist in. And pay we do. So I went to Google and I plugged in a quick Google search of recent news stories that just included the term rent is rising. Try to keep it unbiased. It's fact. Everybody knows it. So uh, in between the first two pages, these are some of the headlines that stood out to me. A quick Google search. Oh, wait, no. I already said that. <laughs> AP News. Evictions are 50% higher than they were pre-pandemic in some cities as rent rises. Axios. Rent is rising much faster than income. The San Diego Union Tribune. San Diego rent hit record high in June. The Advocate. Want a two-bedroom apartment in Youngsville? You'll need to make over $24 an hour. And CBS News. Rising rent across South Florida, pricing some out of town. Among many, 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 well, you get the idea, others. This isn't a localized issue. There aren't any cities in the United States where rent isn't rising and far outpacing the average wage of the renter. Most of us simply can't afford to live. So we either find friends to get a place that's too small for four people, or we move back in with family, or we partner up with someone in a situation ship to split rent, or simply become houseless. Choices are pretty limited if you don't come from, you know, um, generational wealth, that's the word. So, one reason that landlords are bastards are exactly these things. Landlords restrict housing supply and make it harder for everyone to achieve the American dream of owning your own land. You ain't no kind of man if you ain't got land, claims Delmar O'Donnell and O Brother Where Art Thou, the totally accurate and unimpeachable documentary about the American South and the Depression era. Ignoring the toxic masculinity in that line, there is a kernel of truth. Land ownership, at least in Western civilization since the concept was invented, has always been a mark of success, of empowerment, of a sort of security and freedom. We don't much have that potential for that anymore, at least in America. And we'll bandy some solutions about that later. So that was that was pretty pretty dark and depressing though when, when you think about it. And I try not to like Debbie Downer over here. I'm not trying to like bring people down. Uh, usually I'm trying to fire y'all up, but 
you know, we do we do deal with a lot of dark things on this show. So we're going to pivot to something that is not so dark. We are going to talk uh, about the Tenants' Rights Group and what all has gone down with it in the past six months. But first, we are going to listen to these ads from the awesome groups that I work with both locally and nationally. And if you want to be uh, one of the cool kids, you will check out and support these groups. Um, peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure. Go ahead. Do it. You know you want to. So, yeah. Here's some ads. We will be back in a minute. Hey, y'all. Capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply, and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. At Benavie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benavie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to BenaviFarms.com or find Benavie Farms on Facebook. I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man! That's right, fellow workers, it is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So, a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together, you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! Bob was just a normal suburban guy trying to make ends meet until one day everything began to change. I guess I'll log into Facebook. Hmm, that looks like a fun main page. It came for him without warning. He had no idea what dwells deep in the swamps. Hey, they also just give away seeds and stickers. It had him hooked and he didn't even realize it. Well, Produce is getting expensive, and I've always thought about starting a garden. The beast from Florida is coming, with one goal. Hey, and I could give the extra vegetables away too. Anarchy. Well, maybe it's it's just best if we all help each other. Coming to a post office box near you. The Skunk Ape Liberation Union. (laughs) 
And we are back. You know what? I'm still feeling pretty shook up. Let's let's go ahead before we start talking about tenants' rights groups. Let's let's just take a minute to ground, okay? So let's take a few deep breaths in, out, in, out. Now, keep doing that, and imagine veteran of the pot, Ronald Reagan, blindly wandering out around hell trying to find Nancy Reagan. No, wait, because it's timely. Think of Ronald Reagan and Pat Robertson in a cage match to the death. Well, if they weren't already in hell. So maybe they'll just keep doing it over and over. I, I like that idea. But anyway, now breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back to the script. So... We may, uh, where we go? Yeah, there we go. So we, uh, yeah. Yeah. Bah. Okay. In December of last year, good comrade Ashley infiltrated a landlord blacklist group designed to help landlords illegally blacklist tenants in Canada. After dwelling in the Gromp as a lurker, she managed to sneak her way into an admin position. While the boomer owner, Ada, wasn't looking, Ashley booted the other pro-landlord mods, changed the group photo, and changed the name to tenants' rights groups. Group. Singular. <laughs> the landlords began to leave in droves as more and more renters joined through word of mouth. The coup some became something of a Facebook group legend among certain leftist groups, a semi-viral status that's still going on to this day. I was lucky enough to be chosen to help admin the group, and nowadays I spend most of my time approving members and weeding out bots and landlords pathetically lying to try to get in. When we first took over the Gromp, there was about 5,000 members, most of them landlords. The membership dropped to 4,800 as the landlords left, but quickly equalized with all the new tenants. We broke the old membership record within a month of the coup, and we haven't stopped growing. At the moment, we have almost 8,000 members, and I'm looking forward to the day we hit 10K and effectively double the size of the group. Fighting for renters is important, and part of organizing is connecting people. As our respect to our recently departed Dave Brandt, based meme farmer, says, it ain't much, but it's honest work. We've not only grown since the coup, but also helped one another. The group is about half anti-landlord and Chairman Mao memes, and half tenants helping tenants. We've seen all sorts of things, from unlivable conditions of properties, to sexually predator behaviors from landlords, to efforts at outright theft by the owning class. And we've all offered support, information, and sympathy for those struggling with these issues. It's building international class solidarity, and that's pretty cool to me. One of the perks of being an admin of that group, besides my shiny band hammer, is getting to see how our entrance questions are answered, namely the fill-in-the-blank one that says, Landlords are. I can usually tell who's a landlord and who's not from that question alone. Renters usually say things like ticks, scum, leeches, dishonest, or my favorite response which utilizes most of these words, quote, damn near always exploitative leeches, ticks, but sometimes just pigs who like human blood and their slop, end quote. Yeah, shout out to that member. You, you get the vibe of the group. So... Landlords, on the other hand, try to gain sympathy, which is weird because it's explicitly a tenants' rights group, and our rules make it clear we're leftists who hate the whole concept of landlords. I've heard responses like, landlords are great, landlords are needed, landlords provide a necessary service, landlords are essential, or my favorite grandiose answer, landlords are heroes. 
They've taken the pill and are delusionally ignorant of the realities of real estate. Plus side, it does make them easier to weed out. Some members of the group think we should let in the landlords to either try to change their mind or just to troll them. We've discussed that in early days of the group in the mod chat and realized it might be a security risk to allow landlords in even for that reason. Remember, it was a tenant blacklist group to begin with, and the last thing we want to do is have someone denied housing because of their anti-landlord views online. And we do know we have infiltrators who screenshot and share our posts in landlord association groups. We do our best to ban these dicks, but some of them are really good at being subversive, and we can't get them all. But we do our best, and we will continue to do our best to try to maintain that group as a safe space for all renters and members of the working class. Adminning for that group is a high point of my life, and a shout out to the moderators, admins, and fellow members, except for the inauspicious landliches, for helping it grow. Our only hope is each other. Shit, it's not the end of the episode. I'm not supposed to say that yet. So, before I do say that, and we get to the end of the episode, I did want to cover a few things before we finish off. First off... Why do we hate landlords, besides the fact they clog the housing market, cause death and homelessness, and think they're heroes? Beyond these very legit reasons to hate landlords, there's many others. A lease is a business contract, right? I pay you X amount, I get a place to live for X amount. Seems like a simple transaction, right? Well, it should be. But then they add in all the other clauses in addendums. Addendums. That's a fun word to say, addendums. So think of doing any other type of business contract and adding in a clause at the end that you can't own a cat or a waterbed or you can't use your own driveway or you must allow strangers into your home whenever it's convenient for them or you're not allowed to use spices for cooking. These are all things that I've seen referenced at one point or another. Landlords have an inordinate amount of control over the day-to-day lives of tenants. This is another source of anger at the landlord class. They get to decide what color our walls are, whether or not an appliance is broken enough to send a repairman, and whether or not the property is kept up to their standards for decor. Sometimes they get to decide when we shower, when we cook, when we entertain, and when we do our laundry. I understand the thought of protecting their investment, but if I think it's morally repugnant to be a landlord, then, and I mean this with all my heart, fuck your investment. Your ability to buy a house shouldn't give you the ability to dictate the day-to-day lives of your fellow citizens. This is something that both the anarchist and the nascent, freedom-loving American patriot I have trapped in a cage deep in my kidney can agree on. You don't get to fuck with people's lives just because you have money to buy a house, period. So we also don't like landlords because their investments have priority over people's fucking lives. Whether it's rent increases, early terminations, or simply repairing a problem, landlords look at the bottom line, not the actual real lives of people that are affected. A landlord who forces a 10% rent increase that outpaces average wage for the area doesn't care about that fact. They only want their money. (coughs) To quote one of my favorite mafia movies, Goodfellas, Business is bad? Fuck you, pay me. Had a fire? Fuck you, pay me. The place got hit by lightning? Fuck you, pay me. That could have literally been written about landlords. So then there's the reluctance to properly repair anything. If you have an issue with home maintenance that's explicitly the responsibility of the landlord and the lease, you call the landlord. Although, I cannot stress this enough, always get everything in writing. Text, email, always have a paper trail. Landlords are are shady bastards, and that is what we need to do to help protect ourselves, but 
um, I digress. So you call the landlord. You're like, hey, man, my stuff's messed up. In my experience, the landlord will first try to gaslight you into saying it's not really a problem. Um, then they will stonewall, say things like, my handyman is booked, or I have calls out to three companies and no one's gotten back to me. And every time they stonewall, it's always somebody else's fault. Then they'll finally send someone out. Oh, and by this time, the problem has only gotten worse, and it's because it's been ignored for so long, who will half-ass fix it. And that's usually not due to a lack of ability. I used to be an apartment maintenance guy. I'm now a handyman who, here and there, I do work for people. And it's more often than not restrictions put on by the money owner, like in terms of how much time or material costs can be spent. So it's not the repairman's fault. It's almost always constriction from the landlord. So when it inevitably breaks again, we repeat the cycle. The idea is to ignore the problem and it'll go away, but we all know things don't work that way in the real world. They just don't want to spend the money, which is fucking wild to me. The house is like your investment. Wouldn't you want to keep it up so it appreciates and is worth more money? I mean, it just seems like good business to me, but then again, I'm not a landlord or really a businessman, so what the hell do I know? So, then there's like, Eviction by refusal, which I don't know if it's a legal term, but it sure sounds like one, don't it? To illustrate and define my point, I'm going to talk about my current situation. I rented my place in August 2021. It rented for $1,000 a month, and even after my partner and I split, I was able to carry that. Half that time with the help of the government via the Pandemic Rental Relief Program in my state. But when it expired, I was doing it on my own. I renewed in 2022 because A, I hate moving, like with a passion, B, my kids love the neighborhood, have friends, and it reminds me of how I grew up as a kid, and C, I knew how bad the market was for renters, especially for families looking in a college town. All the big houses have been chopped up into multiple units, so again, the housing supply is squashed in this area, and finding something in my price range that's big enough for my needs is going to be difficult. So, my rent went up when I renewed uh, $75, so it's a 7.5% increase for 2022. It's not great, not as bad as it could have been. Anyway, flash forward to April of this year. I managed to keep my rent paid, no late, late days, anything. Well, in April of this year, my mental health tanked, and I didn't work for almost a month. This caused me to miss paying rent for May. I didn't contact the landlord immediately because what was I going to say? I don't know when I'll be able to pay you. I mean, hell, I would have gotten a pay or quit notice the next day. By not telling her, I was buying myself some needed time. She finally contacted me about halfway through the month asking about her money. Since I wasn't trying to avoid her, I promptly responded back that I was about to land a job and I would have her money plus all the associated late fees by the end of the month. Within a week, I had both the overdue rent and the late fees paid, and two days later, I paid her for this month. <coughs> <coughs> yeah. At the end of May, she emailed me saying she was increasing the rent and had concerns about re-signing the lease be due to me not communicating with her about rent. I emailed her back and asked what her proposed increase amounted to and detailed how I made an effort to get her paid and wasn't a dick about it either. I still haven't heard back from her, so I'm not sure if I'm going to have to move. I'm going to email her tomorrow and see where we're at, but I'm not a happy camper about that. Because I'm pretty damn sure that she just wants me to move. 
In my lease, it states that she can only raise rent by $75, and she could probably rent this place out for more than $1,150 in the current market. So my issues with paying are just a pretext to forcibly vacate me so she can try to make even more money. She can literally relocate me with no regard to how I've ingratiated myself into my community for the sake of improved profits. No regard to the fact that I've been pretty much an ideal tenant. I don't bother her. I, besides that one month, I pay rent on time. I generally get along with my neighbors, notwithstanding the lady that lived above me for six months. But the one that lives above me now is great. Awesome. I a big shout out to my upstairs neighbor. So... Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that she just wants me out to increase her profits. So that's a big reason that I hate landlords. I think Chairman Mao was right, and if we can't pull a chairman, can we at least get like some pro-tenant laws or rent caps, restriction of corporate investments and in housing? Dare I say it, housing subsidies for all? Because to me, the choices are either we go the Mao route or the Irish potato famine. Yeah, weird jump, huh? ADHD logic for the win! The last thing I want to touch on is a big part of the great death and diaspora of my people. Landlords. I'm not going to go in too deep about the causes of the famine that were economically driven and English caused, but I will, say, I will go ahead and state this famous saying from John Mitchell, quote, The Almighty indeed sent the potato blight, but the Englishman created the famine, end quote. A fascinating subject. Someday I'm, I probably will do a whole episode or two about it, but at the moment that's all you need to know. So, uh, what isn't widely known is the famine and its subsequent deaths in diaspora was equally driven by landlords. The Irish peasants paid their rent and stuff to be exported, like livestock and produce. They paid these middlemen who managed the estates for out-of-country landlords, usually minor members of the either British or Scotch-Irish nobility. These middle managers, much like the property manager companies of today, had free reign to raise rents, reduce lot sizes, or evict people. And boy, they sure did. Due to a complicated series of laws that I don't have the time to research or talk about, all these things happen. The managers would increase rent while reducing lot size. This required a larger proportion of field space to be dedicated to export products to pay your rent while reducing the amount of land available to farm your own needs. This is perhaps the biggest reason Irish people have the potato. A potato plant grows underground and can thrive in low nutrient soil. It's really space effective, and with the reducing size of your food plot, it became more and more a staple of the Irish diet out of necessity. And taste, because, you know, Irish people aren't completely complete idiots um but so when the potato blight came it didn't affect the foodstuffs for export so much but it did affect the staple crop of my people even as the potato crops failed the british empire was exporting foodstuffs to other places namely britain there was plenty of food in ireland but the native irish weren't allowed to eat it or they could eat it and be homeless which is totally not something we can identify with today that's only happened that one time and will never never again happen where one has to choose between eating or paying their rent so yeah the deaths of the famine were largely ca caused by landlords as much as starvation you could even count the starvation deaths as landlord caused deaths uh, as also we have to include those who died from homelessness or exposure or outright violence from the evicting forces so Given as someone who's got that uh, generational trauma in my DNA, 
I firmly say we pull a Mao, but that's just me. I don't like the alternative here. So whatever you do, we need to do it together. Our power lies in collective action, so join your local tenants union, and if you're local to KC, check out Lawrence Tenants if you're in Lawrence, or KC Tenants if you're not. Lawrence Tenants is on Facebook, and KC Tenants is at kctenants.org, so you should check them out. And if there isn't a tenant union in your area, you should go start one, because after all, our only hope is each other. So, my plugs are Red Leg Revolution, wherever you get your podcast. I'm sure you're aware of that, because you are listening to this. What you might not be aware of is we also are on Facebook at Red Leg Revolution, and on Twitter at Red Leg Pod, and... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll have a TikTok going. I've I've talked to a friend of mine about running a TikTok because I I can't do it. But hey, I actually videotaped the recording of this whole episode, so hopefully it will, you know, get chopped and screwed into a TikTok video, and I can get this message to a bit more of the uh little zoomer comrades because that is definitely a demographic i need to increase listeners from and i don't think it's a message or how i deliver it it's just i how i um market myself and the fact that i don't use any of those hip new apps so uh but yeah i'm pretty sure we're on tiktok uh red leg pod or red leg revolution i don't know i should i should look it up but you can follow us there and um yeah, I feel like I'm forgetting something else, so I don't know. This is kind of a last-minute thing. I've been working real hard lately and realized that I missed my episode for the week, but theoretically I've got like three recording sessions uh, scheduled for next week, so we will see, but hopefully I will have a backlog and be back on track. In the meantime, sorry for making you guys wait for so long. I I know that you crave my my uh, smooth, suave voice like, uh, I don't know, a, a, a dog craves a bone. I, why am I still talking? I'm out of here. Later, y'all.